And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb Stafford Blore. Hi Seb. Hi Joe Devine, how are you? I'm fine. I'm lonely in the studio though because there's no one here except me and you are of course in Hamburg, uh, Germany. I sure am. I'm also lonely so maybe our loneliness cancels out. I'm not sure. Like I'm in an office by myself. You have Don and Sol. With their lovely hands. You're always lonely. But not today, because we have so much to discuss. Uh, Alex and JJ are on holiday, which is great, because it means we can have a proper football conversation and not one that's all about numbers and tactics. Who wants that? I want to talk about the fight between Tanganga and Zaha. And uh, I was going to say I want to talk about Harvey Elliott's injury, but that was horrific. We will uh, we will come to that. Not in a fun way at all. Uh, but we're going to try and cover as many games as possible. A little bit on the on the continent too. It's a fantastically packed show, Seb. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for a lot from the continent, not a little bit. I mean, when we talked about this last night, it felt as if that segment would be a bit larger. Well, no, you know, yeah. you've put two things down. Uh, there's three things. There's three things. You just haven't looked at the plan carefully enough. We'll see when we get there. But if you haven't looked at the plan also, then you should visit The Athletic. Because when you read The Athletic, you don't need to read any plans. You show up everywhere ready for your football conversation without needing to, uh, you know, research in a difficult way. Because The Athletic is fun. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that you can get a 30-day free trial. That's right. You can try it free for 30 days. And do you know what I did with it this morning, Seb? Tell me, Joe, did you learn stuff? I read a Greg Evans match piece on the Aston Villa-Chelsea game, Greg Evans, or as we call him here, Greg Evans, which was really interesting. And we'll come to discuss that a little bit on Aston Villa later. But that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. I would encourage you to go and try it out. Hey, it's free for 30 days. What have you got to lose? Nothing. Nothing. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. Nothing. Anyway, that's all for now. And I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Sebastian Stafford Bloor. Right, where else to begin? I mean, there's probably lots of other places, but where else to begin them with Crystal Palace 3? Nil Tottenham. This was a fun game, Seb. There are several things I want to ask you about. This is a Spurs fan yourself. It might be a little difficult for you, but uh, I wanted to talk about Ollie Skip when we do come to talk about Spurs. Uh, also, Emerson Royals' debut, we can talk about that too. But um, Crystal Palace really made a fool of Spurs. Let's put it that way. Let's do, let's do Palace first. They were hot. They were hot to trot. Yeah, no, I think it's right to start with Palace because they were good. Let's not get sucked into how abysmal Tottenham were because it feels like Palace have got this growing identity. They've brought in a kind of collection of newer, younger players 
um, including Colin Gallagher on loan, who I thought was absolutely brilliant. You were really impressed with him as well, yeah, weren't you? big time. I, I mean, I, I said to you during the game, I don't think I've caught any of Palace's previous games so far this season. And I said, oh, if he could shoot on target, he'd be amazing. And you informed me that he has shot on target before. He has shot on target and scored on target uh, at West Ham. He Palace weren't that good against West Ham, but he was part of their a comeback, which almost came from nowhere, two really well-taken goals. And ironically, the thing that was missing from his performance on Saturday was a little bit of composure in front of goal. But everything he did up to shooting was absolutely brilliant. He looks like a... If, if he were to go back to Chelsea, he would be in contention there. Looks like he should be. I mean, he wouldn't be, realistically. But looks like a very, very good player. He does. He reminds me of uh, Todd Cantwell, but I think it's just the hair. It's the flapping blonde hair. He reminds me a little bit of... More Mason Mount, actually, in the way that he receives possession. Doesn't quite have the attacking output that Mount does, but in the way that he receives the ball in between the lines, the way that he does things with it very neatly and very efficiently, and with that kind of that slightly understated skill, he looks brilliant. Yeah. Well, another player for Palace who uh, had his uh, debut over the weekend and was also brilliant, Otten Edouard, who I'm suddenly wishing JJ was here to correct me if I'm wrong in saying that he came from Celtic. Sure, did. you don't need JJ to, to reassure you. I, I can do that too. Well, can I say I love it whenever a, a good player comes from uh, the SPL because when they inevitably perform well in the Premier League, you get Twitter or watch with all people saying, see, see, he is good. This isn't, this isn't a rubbish league. And very true. Uh, because what a performance he put in. He was sensational. He almost made me feel bad for Christian Benteke because he scored with his first touch after coming on to replace Benteke, who'd been kind of frustrated by his chances throughout the game. But hey, that's clinical. Very clinical. I also feel sorry for Christian Benteke because actually, not in a spectacular 30-goal-a-season way, but he has improved quite significantly over the last year and his, yeah. his contribution to what Palace are has got a lot better. He's not the hopeless case he was, um, still no. a very very strange career but yeah when you have a when you have a player making his debut for Palace contrasting with all the other issues Palace have had in recruiting that position so forget Benteke think about players like Connor Wickham or Alexander Sorloff it, it's quite a long list of players who haven't done what they're supposed to do and who have disappointed so it's the perfect start I mean if you're a Tottenham fan well neither goal was spectacular either but that's not what you want you just want you want a player to show up and put his chances away and that's exactly what well yeah his second goal I think was bad goalkeeping I think the first goal was really nicely taken it was there's a little bit of a deflection in there but I thought the movement and the the little bit of skill to fashion the angle for the shot was great so oh, I was fully impressed and he um that thing about players coming down from Scotland, it is very hit and miss. And, and you're right, whenever this happens, there's a chorus of, see, not a farmer's league, not a farmer's league. And that's true. But if you look at the history, if you look at, for instance, Virgil van Dijk's first few months in England, it's a bit tricky. He had a few really ugly moments that people have forgotten at Southampton, you know, obviously deservedly because he grew into a fantastic player. But you're never quite sure. So you think it's doubly important for a player to start well and to feel like he belongs and that he doesn't have quite as much to, to, to prove over the coming weeks. Very healthy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Zaha also, of course, already proven himself mm-hmm. over numerous seasons, but he was fantastic. I particularly enjoyed this game for the sort of spat that he had. You love the fight. <laughs> for the fight that he had with Sanganga, who a little bit of inexperience and naivety, perhaps. I know that's a cliche to say after a younger player you know, uh, falls for a temper tantrum like that. But it's very impressive, isn't it? Because Zaha kind of loves a battle like that, I think. And Alan Shearer on Match of the Day was talking about how 
uh, his favourite thing is to get close to his marker so he knows when he can turn, he can feel him behind him. He doesn't necessarily want that space that other wingers want. And he's got the power and the speed uh, to turn inside, as we saw numerous times against Tottenham. Tanganga kind of just fell for it in that moment, didn't he? Yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for him because the first yellow card, both both yellow cards are clearly yellow cards, but the first yellow card results from Lucas Moura going down injured at the other end of the pitch, Palace deciding to play on, which they're entitled to, and Tanganga being left in a pretty precarious one-on-one with Wilf Saha, which is a pretty lonely place, you'd have thought. And somewhere between, I don't know, like a wrestling move and a rugby tackle. Just It, it was a bring him down, stop the play by any means necessary. But he was all, I mean, he was. it looked like he was already angry that uh, Palace hadn't stopped. That, kind, that sort of annoys me in games too. Like, obviously, if it's a head injury, I understand why the play has to stop. Yeah, players have always misunderstood this. I, don't, I, mean, I honestly don't think they do. I just think it's the same as like claiming for a foul when you know it's not a foul. I think sometimes the referee will stop the game. That we see that like it's almost 50-50 now in the Premier League. If there's an injury that isn't a head injury, a player goes down and lots of players uh, corral the ref about it, sometimes the ref stops the game. So I think that's what happened. And I think it looked to me like Tanganga was kind of pissed off that the play hadn't stopped. And he pushed Zaha over. And he, he was lucky in some ways not to be carded twice for that offence and then the kind of spat afterwards. Because if Zaha gets a yellow for his reaction then why doesn't Tanganga get a yellow for his, for his reaction to the reaction? I think what we're, we're railing against here is convention in two senses. Because one, you, you're you quite right. Unless it's a head injury, the referee isn't compelled to stop the game. And also, no. historically, players have abused this privilege. We've seen it so many times. Player goes down injured, there's a break. He thinks, if I stay down injured, I can't compel the other team to put the ball out or I yeah. make it really awkward. The thing with the actual the fight in big block capital letters and exclamation mark the fight was that you could probably have made a case for both players being sent off because yeah. I, I agree with you I, I think it's I think, quite bad yeah Tanganga's Tang, Tanganga's tackle is certainly worth a yellow yeah. his reaction to Zahar's reaction is probably worth a yellow too and a strict referee might have sent Zahar off well Zahar does like an incredible kind of like it's almost something you would see in a martial arts film where he does everything with with his hands except touch his face <laughs> he swings his arms really fast but he misses by a millimetre every time obviously intentionally and therefore doesn't incur the worst punishment but um, I think the ref giving both players a yellow card is kind of good thing for the game. I sort of enjoyed that moment a little bit guiltily. But um, so I'm glad that there wasn't a sending off just there. But of course, Tanganga two minutes later, he's obviously hadn't, you know, he'd let, let it get to him, which is understandable. Bit too much adrenaline. Yeah. So uh, I follow a, uh, a coach on Twitter, Harry Robinson. He was talking about how when that happens to a player, not that this option was really available to Spurs because of what they had on the bench, but you need to take a player off because you're not going to be able to find an equilibrium and you're not also, you're not in the sort of the 20 minutes afterwards when you're away from home, the crowd's on your back and the crowd actually wants a second yellow card for anything that he does after that. And he tries to redeem himself a little bit because he, he wins a tackle, the ball breaks and Spurs are under pressure. He's trying to kind of seize the momentum back for his side. He lunges in. Clearly, it's a yellow card. Obviously, he needs to be sent off for that. But you can understand why it's happened. It's not a. It's not one of those unforgivable moments. It's more of a someone on the pitch, someone in a leadership position, coach from the sideline needs to do something. And okay, they can't take him off, but you need to have control of that. You need your senior players to police that scenario because. He's a young player. He's going to make mistakes because that's how young players learn and, and develop. I, I totally get it, man. Like my my main reaction to that is yes, 
I understand why this has occurred. I would do this too. I would be furious, man. I know I'm a happy-go-lucky, light-hearted guy, but honestly, you should see me like playing video games online. Sometimes, Seb, I completely lose it. The rage takes me. And I was trying to think last night after, after I watched this game uh, on Saturday, trying to think, um, putting myself in the shoes of a footballer. Oh, hang on. I've got, I've got a nice segue where, for this because you let it be known over the weekend that you lost six games of Rocket League I did. in a row. So how did you feel? I'm absolutely furious. I punched myself in the knee. <laughs> I was furious. At what point did you start becoming angry? Not just kind of, oh, this is... Oh, for the fir- after the first game, during the first game. And it's all in my head. It's like what I imagine that the other person thinks. It's not, you know, but the point is, when I put, I'm putting myself in the shoes of a footballer when your uh, opposition or your, your marking number or whoever is maybe just talking to you is chatting a little bit at you, a little bit of smack talk perhaps, is pushing you around a little bit, is getting away with things that the referee isn't Look, I, I honestly, as soon as I thought about it in that way, I don't know how I would do it. I don't think I could. I, I suddenly have so much respect for footballers who manage not to lose it every time that, that something like that happens. Because I think if someone said something rude to me on a football pitch, I honestly think I would lose it. Not in an aggressive, violent way, but I'd lose my cool and I'd say something back or I'd walk off or I'd, I'd be in a strop. It doesn't take very much to put me in a strop. Uh, so I have maximum respect for footballers who have the ability to deal with that on a weekly basis, let alone the thousands and thousands of people in the crowd who are calling you <laughs> calling you all sorts of things for 90 minutes. It must be really difficult hey, to put that behind you. Also at a ground like that, because if you've been to South Park, you know how close the stands are to the pitch. Yeah. And so the incident happens on that far touchline, right by the fans. So can you imagine how lonely a position that is for someone who's played fewer than 50 Premier League games? He's on a yellow card. He also knows that he's facing a player as talented as Wilfs at half the rest of the game. And you would feel like you had, okay, it's not a very big ground, but that would feel like about 60,000 people in the moment. It must be incredibly difficult. And I I also think players, well, fans are very, very harsh on players. They're very, very critical. And sometimes... Like you say, a little bit of humanity, a little bit of understanding for what the external pressures are in that situation would be good because he's, you know, he'll he'll see Zahar again. You know, there are two, you know, each team plays each other at least twice a season. So learn from it, move on, understand next time that there are players in the league who are going to want to put you in that situation. And I, th- I think part of Zahar's reaction was a little bit confected. Intentionally so. He wanted to create the scenario that he was able to then take advantage of. Fantastic. Good for him. But you've got to be able to cope with that as a defender. And that's just a, a really harsh lesson to learn. It's very intelligent. You couldn't. I couldn't either. Do you know what else I couldn't cope with? Tell me. I also couldn't cope with being Harry Kane. And I believe, according to Opta, this is the first game ever in Kane's career that he had neither a shot or a touch in the opponent's box when he played the full 90. Which is, I mean, we've seen games over the last year or so with Harry Kane under Mourinho and perhaps now, I suppose, under Nuno too, where he's been very isolated up top. Um, extremely so in this game. I don't think Tottenham had a shot, possibly in the whole game, certainly not in the first half. Uh, Lucas Moore had one at the beginning of the second half. It wasn't there. It was never going to be a goal. It was just straight down the goalkeeper's throat. But there was one that I remember. I can't remember many others. They were so poor. And this kind of felt like the first game that perhaps um, the more negative expectation of Nuno before his arrival. Obviously, you know, he win three games in a row and everyone's happy about it. But this felt like the first 
no-no game. I know that's an unfair way of putting it. You know what I mean? No, no, I, I think that's definitely fair, but I, I don't think it was as different to the first three games as it seemed. They're obviously the result and the personnel and the, the sort of the texture of the performance. But if you look at the balance between defensive and attacking play, wasn't so different. It just, I don't know, the, the Kane thing, you take Son Heung-min out of the side, you lose a lot of the kind of the back and forward. So that's a lot of your counter-attacking thrust. And that can sometimes give the impression of a team that have a little bit more creativity. There was no Lothelso. Tangi and is not fit, uh, not particularly into the idea of playing for Tottenham at the moment. Big problems at centre-half. So you've got a team there that have a lot of structural weaknesses, which invites, if, if from a manager, uh, a quite a conservative midfield selection, which is what Nuno did. And there was no passing creativity. Kane doesn't look fit at the moment, really. I, I think that showed a little bit during the international break. He had a couple of nice moments for England, but nothing like the level of influence that you'd expect from him. And this is probably a legacy of, of arriving back late from, from the summer. And it was, it was very discouraging. Also, uh, and I see a lot of people saying this on social media, and I agree, a little bit difficult to understand why there was no attempt to change the game from Nuno. So obviously there is no Lothelso. Spurs are a little bit short of a creative passing players on the bench, but Brangil was there and Domblay was available to use if and when you know there was a you know requirement to. If he's on the bench, he must be available. And yet, even though the, the, the die was cast in that game from probably about the first 20 minutes, it felt as if Spurs were just going to sit there and wait for something bad to happen. There was no obvious attempt to change it, either with a, a change of personnel or system. And... Now it's a bit confusing. So you you won't see. So maybe maybe this is a anomaly. That maybe this is a kind of a bad experience that he learns from. Or as per with Mourinho beforehand, it's a this is my system. This is how I do things. We're going to do it this way regardless of what happens. So let's park the Mourinho thing for a little bit and let's see which direction they, they head in from from this point. I think, but abysmal, absolutely abysmal. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, Leeds nil three Liverpool. Um, I figured for you know, obviously you know the the main thing to take away from this game was the um, Harley Ev- uh, Harley Elliott injury. Excuse me, I can't say anyone's name today. Harvey Elliott's injury, which was very unfortunate, I think, was very nasty. Eighteen years old, it's a shame, isn't it? It's a real shame. I mean, he's been fantastic so far this season. He looked like he actually would go on to have a good season. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he was on a trajectory towards the England team, actually the senior England team, because I think he's been he's been really, really good and well ahead of schedule too. Because people have spoken about Harvey Elliott for maybe two or three years. I think he made his debut for Fulham when he was either almost 16 or 16. I think he might have been 15. So I think he's the youngest youngest Premier League player in their history before he moved to Liverpool. And here he is, and he looks like he... He reminds me a little bit of of Pedri at Barcelona, just in the way that he sort of exists in that area of the pitch and and how neat his touches are and how creative he is. Yeah, a brilliant player. And it was just a... When an injury like that happens, you can tell how serious it is by the way that all the other players react to it and by the sort of the speed with which the medical staff respond. And you and I were actually talking on WhatsApp while this was happening. And we both kind of concluded that actually I'd probably watch something else and I was going to go and watch an Inspector Morse and you were going to Rocket League, which was a really poor... I, actually, I went to watch Match of the Day. Thank you very I much mean, it, to, do okay. my, to do my research. Okay. But I remember your timeline being a little later. bit different. Anyway, we didn't do any, either of those things because the injury happened... And it's just horrible seeing a player in that much pain. When you experience like an 18-year-old on that particular trajectory who has, you know, suffers that kind of injury, 
it's not just horrible because of the obvious pain and delay and, and sit on the sidelines associated. It's also because you worry that part of their progression that it might impact their ceiling. Do you know what I mean? Like in your experience of players at that age, you've had serious career defining injuries. It can go wrong, can't it? It can go wrong. And I mean, it can eventually go right again, but sometimes there's an awfully long time between that. There's a very, very protracted, long after the cast has come off and the full fitness has been regained. And you miss out on those sort of, you know, they describe the children, uh, you know, particularly under the age of one, but also under the age of five as kind of absorbing information as if their brain is a sponge and they learn in a way that adults don't. I sort of feel, I, I have no idea whether this is true or not, uh, but I would imagine that for players just joining senior football at that level, 16 to, to 20, those are extremely important years in terms of in terms of how you learn, what you learn and what kind of player you will end up being, how that informs you. And I would have thought missing out on what I imagine will be the at least the entire season for Harvey Elliott, I wonder how what kind of impact that has on his on his future as a player, you know? I wonder if part of this is the pressure of the conversation because I'd imagine I agree with you and I imagine we're not the only two people sort of sitting here thinking, oh, I wonder if he'll ever be the same again or I wonder if this will be to him what this, a similar kind of injury was to Eduardo or Aaron Ramsey. And so when he comes back, and I don't know enough about you know, the recovery from either... Have we actually had a diagnosis yet? Seemed like a, a broken ankle, presumably, or a... I, I don't know. Okay, so we, do, we don't even have a diagnosis of the, the nature of the break or the recovery period and how long it's going to be. But as soon as he sets back on a Premier League pitch, there's going to be this sort of unspoken thing. People watch him going, oh, his touch isn't quite good, and maybe he's lost a yard of pace. So we're all going to be looking for symptoms of you know, permanent damage. Which feels very difficult. Well, also basing it on a kind of collective, a collective memory, our perception of what he was as a player beforehand, which is probably wrong anyway, right? <laughs> so that's kind of interesting way of looking which at is it. Only, well, to be honest, with for most of us, like uh, he had a very good season at Blackburn last season, but our experience of him for most people is probably about what three games, four games in total. Yeah, and um, I'm presuming you didn't watch all 90 minutes of all of those games. So I did not exactly. So it's a it's a tiny sample. And you and I have sat here and we've anointed him. He's this great talent. He's Pedri, according to me. You know, all, all this kind of stuff. And now... He's the real he's, deal. He's the real deal, you said. And so in six months, a year's time, when he returns, he's got this incredibly high bar to live up to with all of the mental baggage that comes with a really terrible injury. Well, I take it back then. He's rubbish. He I hope he never bad. comes back. Really bad. No, no, don't say that. No, no, that's reverse psychology by which, by saying no, but that's that, not what I actually am saying is that I want him to come back better than ever. No, but, but that's not reverse psychology. That just sounded vengeful. Like you wish him that his career is over. You know. You, well, I didn't mean it that way. I was trying okay. to. I, I thought by saying the opposite of what I meant, I'd get. You outthought yourself, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, all of Tifo's best wishes to Harvey Elliott. I hope he does Absolutely. make a lovely recovery. Um, he's been fun to watch over the last few weeks. Uh, so, best of luck. Get Good wishes. Better soon. Yeah. Get better soon. Oh yes, the other the other person we were going to discuss uh, as it relates to this game is Mo Salah because he scored a goal and that was his 100th goal in the Premier League set. Uh, he is the 30th player to do so. Um, there you go. He scored some goals. The conversation we had about him yesterday at the time, was it yesterday? I have no idea what it day was. It was yesterday, but in podcast world, it was Sunday. Two days ago. You're right, yeah. on Sunday. I need to say yeah. on Sunday. On Sunday. The conversation we had about him on Sunday um, related to sort of the best player in the world, air quotes, conversation. And I wondered, I asked you, do you think perhaps he's a little bit like a player like Ribéry or Modric? You said Kaka, a player who, who by no means is the best player in the world, air quote, but 
perhaps for a time, for a period of time within their career, definitely could be considered that in you know in a small moment. In the, do you know what I'm saying? Is definitely. he one of those players? How will he be remembered? Is what I'm asking. Oh, well, I think he's entwined with Liverpool winning the Champions League, Liverpool winning the Premier League. So I think in time, if you look back on this in 20 or 30 years, I think his legacy will be much more substantial than just guy who was fleetingly very, very good or, you know, among the very best players in the world. I, I, the, the term I think I'd use is most valuable because um, I think if you, if you took him away from that Liverpool side, certainly during the year when they were runners-up in the Champions League when they lost to Real Madrid and he, of course, got injured in the final. I think him as talisman, him as player that defences didn't quite know what to do with because he attained a level that he'd never really reached before in his career that year. He'd been a very, very good player at Fiorentina, had some good moments at Roma too, didn't have a great time at Chelsea, of course, but he was a different calibre of player to the one we presumed he could be. And that was very, very powerful. Just yeah. clicks, didn't Yeah, it? he really did. And it was a... It was just part of the story and Liverpool survived in that season with a lot of momentum. They played some brilliant football, of course, and, you know, were, but they were so powerful and it felt as if it was something about more than just the summer of the 11 players they had on the pitch. And Salah was head of that queue, of course. Yeah. Okay. Who was on your list though? Because you, 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 you got Kaka out of me, but then you... Well, my list was like a player like Ribéry. Who, yeah. who who constantly sort of flirted with that title, but obviously, the, you know, the the elephant in the room is that these players all exist in the in the realm of Ronaldo and Messi. I think I prefer Robin to Ribery in that conversation. Sure, Robin and Ribery though they they're the same. No, they're the no, same. No, I I because I, I I think Aaron Robin was the better player. Like Ribery, mm. put it this way, the, the the joke people always make about Aaron Robin is that he did the, the same thing every time. And it was the same goal. He did do that. With the same technique. And yet no one could ever stop it. And I oh, feel like uh, that's a... Uh, but I, you know, he he would say he's a very, very destructive player. In an era without Ronaldo and Messi, I think we pay more attention to, to Ronaldo. I, I absolutely agree. I think that's probably true. Anyway. And I think... Anyway, okay. I, I, well, no, I just wanted to say, I like what they do in, in America with the MVP thing, the most valuable. I think that's cool because uh, the most valuable player isn't always the best player, right? Hey, did you, uh, over the weekend, did you see the Carolina Panthers new, it, I don't know how to describe it, they've got like a, a digital panther that jumps around the stadium. Did you see that? I did that see terrifying. that. <laughs> I don't understand that. If you're in the stadium, you can't see that. No, of course not, but it's no. still quite frightening. I, that sounded stupid when I said it out loud. I just wanted to double check that it wasn't like some kind of special hologram or something. No, but it's, it's, it is, it is augmented yeah, reality. Uh, for TV My understanding is it's TV viewers. And so... Also, the Panther appeared to become... Grow much and larger more on aggressive. the field. Like it wasn't... I mean, it wasn't good for yeah. my morale. It was sort of... I want to turn the television off now because it's... Yeah, I was so, frightened. I thought all of those poor Americans, they're all going to be killed by this enormous... They, 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 they weren't. They survived. But I saw that on Twitter. And five minutes later, I was watching the Gladback uh, uh, Bielefeld game on the zone and when Gladbach scored Lars Stendhal scored a really nice headed goal and went to the crowd and then Gladbach's mascot which is just this doesn't it's not quite as high tech as the Carolina Panther Panther just comes into shot it's just a horse's head like a you know the old fashioned yeah exactly the old fashioned pantomime horse he just comes in and he's got his big toothy grin so the, I had the direct comparison is there, are there two persons it seemed like one it didn't horse. seem big enough to be two and it was really? um, it didn't walk around on on four legs so not it was like Bojack horse exactly exactly but lo-fi yeah. 
Um, so the, the blows, yeah. contrast was quite fitting between US sport and European sport. Uh, yeah. it was, uh, yeah. Well, I like, I like a fake horse. Yeah, I've always yeah, loved yeah, a fake yeah. horse. And, you know, talking of the Panthers' ferocity, I don't like... I don't like mascots that are too cheerful. Sure. Because some mascots, you've got, they, they have that big and name grin, which I, I really hate. So I want a moody... No, I like those because they look sad to me. The, the smiley ones, you feel like there's a... There's a it's, because the thing is, if you have a fixed, a fixed expression yeah. on, on a, a mascot, anything that's created out of wool, I don't know what they're made of, wool, <laughs> polystyrene, you know, it's a felt, you know what I'm saying? Like a big mascot's head, a woolen head... The point I'm saying is there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a tricky balance in the eyes. You've got to get the eyes right. Because you know, you know how people say you can smize at someone? Do you know what smizing is? When you smile at someone without actually smiling, it's a, it's a technique. It's supposed to be a kind of sexy thing that people do to each other. They smize each other. It's all in the eyes. But I think with mascots, often... Can you, can you, can you demonstrate what that might look like, please? <laughs> I can't do it. That's the problem. I can't <laughs> smize. Uh, anyway, for listeners, that'll be... It would be horrific. Um, I've tried my best. I'm sorry. Uh, it's very difficult to get the eyes right because you have to get the smile in the eyes. And often what happens with mascots and particularly children's uh, woolen characters, not woolen, I know they're not made of wool, I don't know what they're made of, at Disneyland, for example, they look vacant and sad with their big grin, but they're dead, dead eyes. And that's my favourite thing about lots of those um, football mascots. You know, the the... The, I don't know any of them. Well, that that um, that's in Johnson one, which is just a big scary sun. Fred the Red. Fred the Red. Uh, Gunnosaurus. Gunna, no, Gunnosaurus. They've got the eyes right with Gunnosaurus. Gunnosaurus just looks kind of cheeky. I like Gunnosaurus. Yeah. Anyway, this is, this is we've got so much to get through, uh, but it's all in the eyes. Okay. Anyway, we'll be back after this short break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're back. And now uh, we're going to touch on uh, Manchester United 4, 1 Newcastle. Of course, the big story from this game was uh, Ronaldo's return and a brace. Uh, but uh, a lovely goal from Bruno Fernandes, Seb. What a delight. I always love watching the expressions of the people behind the goal. And there's a really good angle of that Fernandes goal where mm. you see... Because he releases the shot really quickly and it just it moves so quickly towards the, the top corner. And there's a couple of people behind the goal. If you look at them... They they made that really obvious mistake of forgetting there's a net between them and the ball, yeah. and you can see them. Yeah, it's it's one of my favourites. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Oh, goal. I like that. With that, yeah, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like the way it moved in the air. I thought it. I mean, I didn't like the way that Newcastle left him completely alone just outside the 18 yard box. But it's nice to know he can do it because he does take a lot of shots from that area, and normally is much closer to a defender or is being closed down. But you know. One of the fun things about Bruno Fernandes is that Manchester United appear to just encourage him to take as many risks as possible, which makes them quite a fun team to watch. But it also means you watch him give the ball away and miss a lot. 
So when he gets it right, it's lovely. Feels like the reward for all the frustration. I think this is an age where we're probably guided a bit too much by uh, ball dispossessions and pass accuracy and those kind of things because they're, they're useful uh, in the right context. But also there still has to be a place for players that have a license to take risks because that's what they're on the pitch to do. They're supposed to be the expressive side of the team. And that's why... Obviously, one of the, the tedious conversations about Man United is the absence of a, a convincing defensive midfield. But this is part of the conversation, too, is because you need to be able to accommodate the players that do take risks, do lose the ball, sometimes give it away in areas where it's not ideal to do so. And that's, the, that's part of the need for a resilient defensive midfield. But yeah, when you get to see a, like a, a shot like that, and I, I thought it was nice because obviously the conversation around Saturday's game with Newcastle was very boring and very focused on one player. And it was excessive I felt and also a lot of it came at the cost of Bruno we spoke last week in the podcast about oh how's he gonna I don't know did I just do an impression of myself there sort of you sort of did that was yeah. kind of weird because it was me who led the charge against him and now I'm yeah. I'm applying like my chemistry teacher <laughs> voice to myself interesting anyway it was nice to see him respond with something like that which is one of the best goals he scored for Man United which is a lovely lovely moment also nice to see Jesse Lingard get a goal sure uh, back on the Manchester United score sheet after being on loan last season at West Ham. He had a fantastic season there. Uh, it was unclear in the summer whether or not he was going to leave. I think there were you know times where the club were open to it and times where they weren't. But you sort of think perhaps in, in this setup, maybe not so good for Van der Beek, but um, he could get goals this season, couldn't he? He could, have, he could have a good season from the bench. Yeah, I wonder. He definitely could. I just wonder whether it's right for him to be having the good season from the bench part of his career at this age because he's in his late 20s now and you just think he I, I wish he'd gone to West Ham for sure I, I really wish that he's happened. got a World Cup in just over a year difficult to see him making a, a 23 man squad even though he was involved in the last one I, I, I understand but over 13 14 months eventually someone like I don't know we spoke about Conor Gallagher earlier um, someone like that is going to come back into prominence so I don't know I'm not sure it's the greatest decision I still think he'll leave in January I still think he'll go somewhere because he has to play yeah good enough he's, well, he's too good a player just to be Van der Baked on the Man United bench <laughs> that was good that was quite clever that was, that um, was quite clever yeah. Manchester United of course top of the league at the moment 11 goals scored Pogba I believe with two more assists in this game I believe he's on 7 assists now I think the record in the Premier League for a season is 18 is that Kevin De Bruyne I think that is Fabregas, Fabregas. Yes, I think it's Fabregas it's possible that Kevin De Bruyne broke that record and I've missed that uh, but he's He's not far off halfway there already. He could have an incredible assisting season. It could be a record breaker here. Yeah, I've enjoyed it actually because the when you see a uh, a goal like Bruno's, obviously Pogba laid off the ball for him. That there's always a someone always does that funny thing on on YouTube where like you know you forget the the goal bit of it and you just highlight the assist. Someone did it for Tom Carroll with that Gareth Bale goal at West Ham years and years ago it was like a three yard just layoff no no press no pressure you know nobody trying to take the ball off him and um they, they sort of put that into slow motion and then fast forwarded the bit where gareth bell rattled it into the top corner from 35 yards but it's actually a really good identification of space i know that what we want to see from pogba is that kind of raking 40 yard ball which has a bit of backspin on it checks on the on the surface and hits a player in stride but he's becoming better at just shuffling players into position and his short range passing is a lot better than people give him credit for. It's not as eye catching and it's not it's not as good for highlight reels and you know it doesn't it's decision making though, isn't it? Exactly. Like it, it, exactly. It, it, he passes to the right person at the right time, even if it is 
you know, because I think probably half of his assists so far are little passes inside to someone who then, you know, scores a great goal. But that's just as important. Well, this is this is actually a thing with Jaden Sancho. So people always, before they probably watched him too much, they celebrated his stats and his assist numbers. A lot of those, some of them came from you know, really intricate bits of play. A lot of them were very simple, though. A lot of them were just about when to release the ball and who to release it to and really basic parts of the game, like passing and moving. And that's what Pogba's doing. Like, we know what else he's got in his locker. I don't, you know, that, 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 that goes without saying. But just because it's a, a simple-looking pass, it's, it's, a, it's a really important part of the game, particularly for a player playing in that position. So it's, it's really nice to see. And it's, I, one of my favorite things is watching players change the conversation around them. And the, the Paul Pogba topic for a really long time has been so dull and so aggressive and so overblown and silly and this season has been quietly excellent and I almost quite like the fact that he's he's racking up these stats without doing the sort of the expressive uh, flamboyant things that he's capable of because it's just a it's kind of workmanlike excellence to coin a phrase that won't catch on do you think also that the arrival of Ronaldo and obviously Bruno Fernandes Paul Pogba takes quite a lot of pressure off of Jadon Sancho who I didn't watch this game I only watched it on match of the day and he wasn't involved in too many of the highlights but when he was he looked sharper than he had done in his first couple of games he hasn't had the, the brightest or the, or the best start and clearly needs a bit of time to settle in it takes the pressure off a little bit doesn't it I feel like the eyes of the world are, or the, at least the eyes of Manchester United fans aren't clearly aren't on him at the moment and maybe he can slowly improve throughout the season and you know catch people by surprise a little bit later without having all of that pressure that he would have done if Ronaldo hadn't arrived. Well, let me turn that question around on you because you didn't go into the weekend thinking about Jadon Sancho and what he was likely to do against Newcastle and what impact he was going to have on Man United season. It's I did not. You did not. It's changed now and this is this is a function of Ronaldo. When he plays for a club, everything else underneath him is a subplot and players can benefit from that at Man United. I guess so, yeah. Joe, I've got a, it's not really a segue, but I've got an interesting point to make about a European-based football match. Can I monologue about it a little bit? Uh, yeah, okay. This is me trying to seize control of the running. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What you mean you're cutting out Watford, Wolves, Brentford, Brighton, Leicester City, Man City, Arsenal, Norwich, Chelsea, Villa? Don't care about any of that. Well, we will be talking about some of that after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Go on, you can do, we're back from the break. You can do your European bit now and then we'll go back and do some more because I want to I reference some of these games at least. Okay. We've got time. Okay. We've got, we got nothing, okay. nowhere okay. to go. Okay. No one's here. I've got two, I, I've just, just two little points to make, two little things that I noticed. Do you want to save them to the end? No, no, I want to do them now on the meat of the you podcast. I want, you know, it feels okay. like this is, this is a really... I'm so sorry, listeners. Off you go, sir. Okay, so point one is the penalty given to British Dortmund um, against Bayer Leverkusen over the weekend. So listeners will know this scenario pretty well. There's a... Um, a ball is sort of rolling towards the goal line. Defender gets in the way. Shepherds it out for a goal kick. And in that situation... Oh, you're football. You're describing football. I am describing a part of football. A oh. facet of football. Sorry, carry on. Okay. I'm intrigued by where you thought I was going, though. <laughs> I wasn't really listening. Okay. You were just, just hijacking and... Just start one more time. It's just me. sabotaging my bit so that you can, like, in future conversations when we plan it, you can say, nah, no, because, yeah, that didn't go where it was. It like, didn't work. didn't no work. Like and, bit. You know, nobody really went with you, despite the fact that you People talked over the, the whole thing. the man kept interrupting and that man was you. No, it's you always know. you. You sort of just pepper in your interjections again and again and again. Anyway, so, Brissy Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen. Um... In that situation, I think most people. Well, big game, wasn't it? Wasn't it four three? This fucking one? interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> it was four three. I would recommend yeah. anyone watch the highlights. It was one of the best games all weekend. Anyway, the penalty Leverkusen conceded. In that situation, I think most people accept that a defender, short of just turning around and punching the forward in the face, is not going to concede a free kick. You can just yeah. you can pretty much do anything. So in this situation, Marco Royce was trying to get around the, the, the side of the defender and he sort of flung his arm out to protect the ball, but struck Royce in the face completely accidentally. He wasn't attempting to and probably a yard from the goal line and then the ball went out. Referee went to VAR or VAR intervened. He ended up giving a penalty. It's the first time I think I've ever seen an offence given for something like that, you know, barring something ridiculous like a, a rugby tackle or an elbow or, or whatever. So penalty for Dortmund. The second thing, and we brought this up probably about six months ago as something we, we'd like to fix about the game, time-wasting. So at the end of mm. Espanol Atletico Madrid, um, Espanol probably from maybe 70 minutes onwards, had done a pretty good job of winding down the clock and you know taking as long as possible over every stoppage. And they got to the 89th minute, player went down with cramp, ended up being down with cramp for probably about two and a half minutes. Referee adds 10 minutes of injury time and he is my, <laughs> he is my new personal hero. <laughs> and the sting in the tail, like of that. course, is that Thomas Lamar scores in the ninth minute of those 10 minutes of injury time to win Atletico the game. And this is, this is a wonderful moment of football karma, justice, Referees of Spain look upon this. This is this is how you deal with it. Referees around the world, indeed. Well, no, because I well, referees around the world, yes, but I think it's a particular problem in Spain because there is 
Manuel Pellegrini actually talked about this in pre-season. He talked about how slow the game is, how much cheating there is towards the end of it, how referees need to be more judicious in adding on added time, if that makes sense. And this was its perfect emblem. And also I really enjoyed because this was at Espanol. So it was in Barcelona. And when the 10 minute board went up, the crowd are absolutely outraged. And the irony being that in the foreground, there was one of their players feigning cramp on the on the side of the pitch. Sort of, you know, yeah. So it's my two minutes. No, well, they should, do, they should just um, do a 60 minute clock that stops every time the play isn't happening. Don't need to do it. You just, you just add it on properly. You just add yeah, it but on I mean, it would, it would just, it would just remove all of the, the problems. Just get rid of them. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to interfere with the structure of the game or the continuous clock. But it's just a frustration. I, I can deal with the ball being in play for maybe sixty-five minutes only, just as long as when you get into injury time or when you approach injury time, a referee applies common sense. If it takes goalkeeper ninety seconds to restart the game, the goal kick, add on the time. Like ten minutes should be a kind of a common feature of this. Do you remember we made a um, we made a time wasting video a few years ago, and there was an example from the Premier League of the lowest actual game time played in a game, forty two minutes. It had Cardiff in there? It was, was it? Burnley against Cardiff. Something, something it was like something that. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Forty two minutes of actual football in a ninety minute game. It's, it's stunning, isn't it? Scandalous. Stunning. Absolutely. Well, scandalous. anyway, listen. Yeah. Let's head back to the UK. Uh, to discuss uh, Chelsea 3 nil Aston Villa. Now, uh, Chelsea is a relatively interesting one um, because, as I understand it, although I didn't pay close attention to the game, as evidenced by the fact that I was accidentally watching a different game for two minutes. <laughs> I feel like that's an anecdote that you should relay. No, I won't do that. Uh, but uh, that was just for you. Lukaku, two shots, two goals, everything we've come to expect from him. I'm sure we'll be talking about him a lot this season, so there's probably no need to uh, delay here. Chelsea generally looking, you know, like champion contenders, of course. Nine goals and one conceded in four games so far. We will, uh, again, probably be talking about that a lot this season. The one thing I did want to uh, to mention was that 3-0 very much flattered Chelsea in this game. Aston Villa were very good, according to Greg Evans, who wrote the lovely piece of The Athletic that I read this morning. In their 3-5-2... Apparently, Thomas Tuchel admitted after the game that at times they struggle to deal with Aston Villa's pressing. And I wondered two things. Firstly, whether this is a... Well, presumably this is good news for Aston Villa. Uh, as as Greg wrote, it is infrequent uh, that a team, you know, coming back from an away game, having lost 3-0, brings lots of encouragement home with them, which clearly Aston Villa did in this case. But secondly, I wonder, and I'm probably getting carried away, but I wonder, could this be a watershed moment for Chelsea? Could this be the kind of... Arsenal versus Conte's uh, uh, Chelsea, uh, where another team finally kind of cracked how to uh, not dominate, but how to contest with Chelsea's system. Could it be something that other teams take a lead from? Don't know about that, because that Conte moment was a bit more dramatic because they obviously lost that game and they were a little bit humiliated and it involved uh, Conte ripping up the system and going to his back three. I think think it's really more about Villa because I... I, I thought Edouard Mendy was Chelsea's best player. I think it was his best game for Chelsea, certainly, let's put it that way. And save for a really good uh, Thiago Silva block and an excellent Mendy save from, yeah. I think Ollie Watkins was the block and the save was from Tyron Mings after a corner. Villa created the better chances. It was just a, I felt like it was a lesson. It was that when all aspiring teams are growing into their, to their new position in the league, they have that game where they play really well and 
and and yet somehow they end up losing 3-0 and weirdly it seems always to happen at Stamford Bridge but this was a kind of right this is obviously you need to take chances but also you need to retain your focus and really what to settle that game was mental mistakes good goal from Lukaku to start scoring but then the Tyrone Mings mistake his sort of hacked back pass back to his goalkeeper it happens just after half time I think like I think most Villa fans during the break would have said okay but this is fine like one nil down but creating the better chances and as long as we don't concede then it's chance going to keep coming but that sort of killed the game um, and so it's a little bit of a lesson about concentration it's also about what happens in a game if you create chances but you don't take them you can't have 10 minutes of self-pity basically and you can't you know have um have sort of the, the downturns that Villa did but they were great and they they um you know in the summer when you see a club's transfer activity and you think oh you're going to be interesting this season and you are and you are can't wait to watch them it's actually really rare that a team fulfills that promise because most often it's kind of like oh you know that guy gets injured and you know that new signing turns out to be a little bit bollocks and you know blah 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 and it's the same old it the, the team ends up being exactly the same as the one it was and in Villa you've definitely seen like a change in personality and it's and Palace I think as well right and Palace definitely Palace you've had a change in composition also I think there's a change in the way people view Palace's future because of how young some of the players they brought in are and they are now on that list of teams that if you're in neutral and you're sitting down on a Saturday oh yeah I'll put that on because I want to see Easy or I want to see Elise or you know I want to see Conor Gallagher play they're in that category now and I think um, I think for different reasons Villa are too and they, they yeah 3-0 is a bit humbling but I think they um, they gave a pretty good account of themselves I don't think there's going to be any major panic from Chelsea. I think Mason Mount didn't start the game. He's a big part of what they do. I think when... I don't know. I, I, Saul when, started, of course. Saul, that's a really that's a really interesting one because I, I saw the, the comparisons with Bakayoko, who, of course, had a, a terrible time at Chelsea before going out on loan for goodness knows how long. I mean, I think, I think he's, he's, he's gone back to... I think he's gone back to AC Milan and it's... He's gone back for two years and it's his sixth loan, I think, since he joined from Monaco. Um, and people compared the Sal performance in the first half to the Bakayoku one against, I forget who the team was, but he ended up getting sent off in that game. I think you have to be sympathetic. Better players than Sal have come to England and struggled with the pace, particularly in the centre midfield um, and particularly against teams who press really intensely. And Villa had a plan for him, let's be honest. And, and it, was, it was one of those where I think it's difficult because as soon as Tuchel takes him off at half time, he becomes a story, and it becomes he he, he puts himself on one of those lists, which you know he turns up periodically about you know worst ever debut or you know this is etc. But I think it's the kindest thing to do because if Chelsea go on to lose that game and it's as a result of being overrun in midfield, then the conversation's a lot worse and the damage might just be terminal. And as it is, you can kind of write it off as just a bit of adjustment. It was hard to watch at times though. Okay, well, that's uh, that's Chelsea and Aston Villa. Uh, next up, Arsenal won, nil Norwich. Arsenal win a game. Fantastic. Finally scored a goal. And they look pretty decent in behind Norwich. Quick and direct. Uh, as Ian Wright said on Match of the Day, though, people will say it's Norwich. Um, it is Norwich. But m- most interestingly, Seb, Arteta uh, described, in his post-match interview, he described 
the last sort of 10 to 14 days, I suppose, the international break, as the best of his career. No, no, no. And uh, can you contextualise that for me a little bit? Because I realise I've taken it out of context ever so slightly. Not in terms of the results, not in terms of the... But I believe he was saying it in terms of... Uh, you know, he said he looked around the club and saw the people that are working there, the quality of the players that they have, and the, you know, the kind of... I think he was uh, attempting to describe a sort of collective uh, or a unity, a uh, feeling of unity. Uh, the best 14 days of his uh, of his career. Not to put the boot in at all. I was just very interested to see him respond in that way. Now, you're smiling as though you're going to be cynical. No, no, that's no, not no. Why, Just to be clear, that's, to be not what you're clear doing. that's not why I brought it up. I thought it was interesting that that was his response. He seems like someone who has is tackling things head on. Do you remember that conversation about how eyes are important? See, when you say you're not cynical, you did your cynical eyes. I know you're cynical eyes because I see them in every... They're always there. We have a meeting every day and exactly, exactly those. Hey, so it's not that I'm going to be cynical about it. It's just, it's a little bit of a Guardiolaism. It's a, you know how he's prone occasionally to, to these sort of, these moments which are intended to puff up his players and his organization and his team. It's just one of those. And, um, but it, winning is winning. There's no such thing as it's only Norwich. He won the game. That's all that really matters. And also there was a couple of good moments in there. Nicola Pepe created the goal in, in a slightly sort of jumbled, bizarre way. There's a fabulous tackle by, I think, Gabrielle at the end, which denied uh, Timo Pukki because Norwich could easily have taken a, a point from that. And can you imagine if Arsenal had failed to win that game? I mean, the, the conversation around them before the international break was pretty toxic. If you don't beat Norwich at home, oh, that's definitely Oh, they knew that. Yeah, were. absolutely. Uncle Damien was there in the crowd. He would have been disappointed. But at least he didn't have far yeah. to go home. That's an easy trip back to the Old Red Lion Theatre pub, which hey, is a really good venue for watching. You can walk. In you can walk to the Old Red Lion Theatre pub you know. from the Emirates. And uh, you can watch all of the good football there. The Old Red Lion Theatre, where football is good. Now, Norwich have conceded 11 goals and they've scored one goal. That's not a good start. They're bottom of the table, of course, after four games. Nil point, um, only Newcastle have conceded more. Here's more. Obviously, Seb, they've lost one deer, but they did have, you know, they have spent this summer. They've brought in lo lots of players. I won't mention them all here, but we've got Josh Sargent, we've got uh, Rashika Kabak. Um, also, uh, Gilmore and Brandon Williams on loan too. So, in Matthias some ways, Norman. yeah, it's coming. In some ways, it's player. like quite a different team, I suppose, uh, to the one that, uh, that that was promoted last season. Too early to tell, I imagine, what the what fate holds for them this season because of the of those first four games: Arsenal, Leicester, Man City, and Liverpool were the teams that they played. Which uh, you cannot really imagine a worse start uh, in, in terms of fixtures for for a team like Norwich. So you would kind of expect them to be on zero points after those four games. Yeah, and also, do you remember last season how Fulham arrived back in the division and then they had a big splurge on players? Not the first time they did it when it was a disaster. Last season when they brought in a lot of lone players, brought in they, they, they changed their entire defence and their goalkeeper within the space of 10 days. And we all got a little bit nervous for them and it looked very chaotic for probably about six weeks. And then all of a sudden they started to improve. And it'd be a better story. And then they got relegated. And then they got relegated. <laughs> it would be a better story if they survived, but they did improve. And maybe had the season yeah, yeah. gone on for a few more months, they might have survived. I see Norwich kind of in there. Like, I think 
let's hold back I hope let's so. just leave them alone for a little bit and see what happens in November you kind of have to wonder like if it doesn't work this season what else do you have to try because last time they tried keeping the core of the team together they didn't spend loads of money they kept kept Wendera of course they kept Pookie and they came up and they tried to do the same thing they did in the championship with the same roster of players and it didn't quite work you know again they played some very good football but they were porous at the back uh, conceded many goals and deservedly went down this time they clearly have spent money. I think their their net spend is somewhere around twenty five. Uh, but overall, they spent they spent about fifty million pounds. That's not a very Norwich thing to do, you know. So clearly, they are making an attempt to strategize differently ahead of this season. I guess it's just always going to be complicated when those when the first four fixtures are those four teams. Like presumably, the club will have you know budgeted as the wrong word but budgeted to not get any points out of those games no I think that's exactly the right word I would have I would have thought so or there would have been a conversation somewhere within the club at some point where, where you know maybe the sporting director or the manager said this is what's likely to happen nobody have a tantrum or nobody get disheartened by it because and that seems especially to be the case because their transfer a lot of their transfer activity happened quite late in the window they didn't do everything in early june and then sit on it for the rest of the summer they did it late as if they were looking towards october and november and that's fine because no one gets relegated at the end of september uh, and also like the difference between people always get nervous when a, a team has a lot of churn during the summer when there's a lot of a lot of turnover um, and a lot of change to a side that have won promotion because players players have their ego damaged because they've they've contributed to the promotion they've won a league they've achieved all the success and then somebody comes in on bigger wages and takes their place and that's a really awkward dynamic in a football club but you don't see Norwich making a lot of those kind of signings it's just adding to what they've got so you know Josh Sargent, not a high-profile player. Matthias Norman, not a high-profile player. These are good players. There's a guy from the French League, a midfielder, who uh, whose name I have completely forgotten. He's got a, he's got he's got a hyphenated first name, which is, you know, unusual. That is unusual. It's like if you were called uh, uh, Joe Alex Devine. Well, goodness me, I'd be better at tactics, but less funny. Um, yeah. Now listen, uh, you have much more cynical eyes <laughs> I would. and a cynical mouth. <laughs> I'm trying to put my mind. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes now of a Norwich Championship player who perhaps was part of the team that went down a couple of seasons ago. I remember when I got promoted to the Premier League that other time, and my wages like doubled, and then I got relegated, and my wages halved. And I'm thinking. Hey, if Billy Gilmore can come and help me stay up, or if you know any number of these rivals can help me stay up, I won't have to have my wages halved again. I like it. Okay, but then also put yourself in the shoes of that place. Come up, he scored a couple of goals at championship level. And he thinks good season here, and oh, I might get myself a move to yeah. Everton. Well, I'd never do that. I'd be completely loyal to Norwich. You'd be course, loyal. That's, because that's Norwich is the best course, city like, in you know, the UK outside of London you know, yes, and is yes, the nicest place right. to live outside of London and uh, is the best football club outside of London. 20 loyalty. Okay. Moving on now. Uh, Leicester City nil, one Manchester City, uh, two teams that have both beaten Norwich so far. Um, Leicester had their chances in this game, Seb. It was a tight affair. Oh, I found it disappointing. I got bored. I watched it, but I got bored. Tight affairs can sometimes be boring. 
Yeah, just I, I, I had it, had it down as best game of the weekend, and it was okay. But you were it, wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong, wrong, wrong. Hey, so one thing I did like, Leicester were pretty good at, at times. They've got this really fun dynamic between Jamie Vardy and Harvey Barnes, which didn't see at the end of last season because obviously Harvey Barnes got hurt. But it capitalizes on like Vardy's tendency of escaping down the right and you know being a an available target in the channel and using his pace to try and get around the corner, the edges of a defense. And when that's happening, Barnes is typically stretching the, the, the fullback on the other side of the pitch. And it's a it's kind of a crossing cutback kind of routine that they've got. Nearly, nearly created two goals um, at the weekend. Harvey Barnes, like, I feel like he's one of those players that if he looks slightly different, he's in a bit of a Paul Scholes category. He's not an yeah. as extreme an example. But if you look, he to looks look, quite nice. He looks nice. He looks like you know when you're creating a player on Pro Evolution Soccer and you have yeah. your default, like the guy sure. you're just your your every man before you start, you know, giving yeah, yeah, player. Yeah. He looks like Harvey Barnes originally. Well, and that's what they say about Keanu Reeves, isn't it? Have I said this before? No. Uh, one of the <laughs> one of the theories about Keanu Reeves and and why he's such a fantastic screen presence is because he is essentially a blank canvas onto which the audience <laughs> place their desires. Uh, because he, if you think about Keanu Reeves, he doesn't really change his acting approach very often. And listen, I love him. I think he's great. I love The Matrix and I love John Wick. This isn't a dig. Point, point Reeves. break I think, is, I think he's doing this on purpose. It's clearly the sure. best Keanu Reeves film. I'm an FBI agent, Bodie. But even when he shoots into the sky and screams no, he's still kind of blank when he's doing that. And I think there's like a, there is true, like the audience watch him and you look at, you sort of looking at a little blank canvas and whatever you think, whatever your interpretation of his emotional state is, that's what it is because there's nothing there to contradict you. And that's why he's such an impressive screen presence. And now it sounds a little bit like that's what you're saying about Harvey Barnes. I mean, actually nothing, nothing like that at all. But something in that realm. I'm kind of mentally listing my favourite scenes from Point Break. I've completely forgotten about Harvey Barnes. Like I oh, just, sure, yeah. When he when he when he jumps out of the aeroplane without a parachute, parachute, yeah, and catches Patrick Swayze on the way down. That's just a great moment in cinema history. That yeah, it's just yeah. Incidentally, Patrick Swayze. Every time I think about Patrick Swayze, all I can think about is his character in Donnie Darko with the dungeon <laughs> under his house. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, I know I know Patrick Swayze is much more famous for other things. But, you know, speaking of smiling faces and vacant eyes, that character is... Uh... Anyway, Man City scored the kind of shit goal that champions score, didn't they? To win games like this. Charmless, boring, efficient. In it went. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Nobody won any Three fancy points. football points. Brilliant. Moving yeah. on. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Fine. Get out. In which case, we shall move on to Brentford nil. One Brighton. We can carry on, right? It's just us. We'll just carry on. Let's let's get this can done. This, can this count as the editorial meeting? I mean, sure. You know, just, Why not? I feel like okay. I have a yeah. That's, that's cool. Okay. Well, well, Brentford nil. One Brighton. Brentford five points from four games. Mm -hmm. They haven't won again since they beat Arsenal on the opening day. But they look a little bit class, you know, lots of opportunities in this game in this particularly. Game. Yeah. They were great. They were great. Um, they are exciting to watch still. And if they can keep up the form, they'll definitely stay up. They are. There are definitely three or more teams in the league that at the moment are much worse than Brentford, right? Yeah, at the moment, yeah. What, what I would say is they were great. And a couple of parts of their game have surprised me. Like I, I really, 
Ivan Tony is a little bit more creative as a player than I thought he would be at this level. Brian Buemo is a bit more subtle. His touch survived the jump up. He's been he's been very very good. I say all that staff like it's a little bit of a what's the positive equivalent of a hangover, like a, a happy hangover. So you, oh, like a, what you when you wake up in a good mood. So if you yeah you wake up in a good mood, but you wake up in a good mood as a result of something exciting. So. They win their promotion. They come to the league with all this confidence. Christmas morning. Christmas morning. I don't really like Christmas. That's a bad example. But, you know. Um, Christmas morning if you liked Christmas. Christmas morning if you like Christmas. And you wake up and, and you're all happy. Now, in the Premier League, first night, you beat Arsenal. <laughs> More enthusiasm. I'm happier. I'm happier. Yeah. Really good Christmas. But then... If you stop winning games, or if you January, January happens after Christmas. I, I always and think that sucks. That does, and it's like eventually the morale drains away because if you, it's good to play well, and it's good to be able to say you play well when you didn't win because that's kind of reassuring. But you don't want to play well and lose too often because no. that becomes well. I mean, a I guess thing. the plus side is that they have drawn two games. They've won one game. Yeah. And they've only lost uh, one game. So, you know, playing well and losing too often would only be a thing if that was, if one loss was too often. Got to score some more goals. Got to do that. Got to score some more goals. Okay, well, that's Brentford. And I'm sure, again, we'll discuss Brentford a lot more this coming season. Brighton, however, currently fifth on nine points, Seb. Wins over Burnley, Watford and Brentford. Uh, Curious... I am to see them against one of the top six because, you know, last season they sort of massively underperformed their XG. You know, you felt that there was more to come from the team. They created a lot of opportunities that they just didn't didn't finish. And they were what you were perhaps uh, describing in your omen for Brentford. They would have been Brentford um, last season. They, this they this would have happened season, to them yeah. last season, I think. Um, uh, but this game, you know, like 90-minute clutch goals, like Leandro Trossard's goal uh, over the weekend... Those things are super important. That, that felt like that. It was what Brighton were missing last season. I like them. Yeah. Hey, I mean, yeah. I, I feel like I've said everything I want to about the game. What, I, what the extra bit is? Have you read on the Athletic about the rivalry between Matthew Benham and Tony Bloom? Hate each other. Oh, Brentford and Brighton hate each other. Oh, yeah. the owners of Brentford so, and Brighton. You're saying? Yeah. They um, there's a there's a feature in David Ornstein's column. Uh, about ah. this and uh, it's quite interesting I won't spoil it go and, go and have a read there's a was that this morning yes so no do do spoil no 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 because we want people to, <laughs> I want we, to we, know you can read afterwards you're already a subscriber we don't care about you you're in the keep net already so you're yeah. you know um, well I guess maybe you can get that 30 day trial huh? be worth it just for this anecdote so Tony Bloom watched the game from the stands which is one of my favourite little sub genres of interesting stuff to happen over the weekend Sure. I like him. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Watford nil Wolves 2. Uh, Wolves finally scored some goals. Well. Yeah. I mean, the first was an goal, own goal. Yeah. <laughs> and the second was a sort of goal line scramble goal. But they all count. Um, and of course, the second goal was uh, scored by a new signing, Huang, which is exciting. Uh, and the thing with Wolves, there's some crazy stat. I, I'm sure this is probably over exaggerated. But I think it was something like 60 shots that they had from the first three games. Um, <laughs> no goals they really needed this one yeah they did but in that sort of Brentford way they've been playing pretty well they played very well against Man United yeah. they absolutely battered Spurs they did. even though they lost to them this was coming it was and coming it was a really rotten Watford performance but uh, and the Watford goalkeeper actually made a couple of brilliant saves um, but Huang, Huang's a really interesting addition because he he was at Salzburg 
Well, no, he, he, was, from? he was at Leipzig. He moved between the two clubs, but he, he kind of, right, people right. first became aware of him in that Erling Haaland season at Salzburg. And he moved to Leipzig and didn't quite work for him. I don't right. know whether it was a confidence thing or they didn't quite fit into the system, but um, he just didn't survive the kind of, they brought Andre Silva in over the summer and Huang wasn't really going to fit between him and Daniel Olmo. So, he looks good. Yeah, he's not an outright number nine. So you'd expect that he would play in that little group behind Raul Jimenez. Um, yeah. God, that's a talented little group of three, potentially. He, well, he also, he looks kind of stacked. Yeah, I mean... That's the guy with like three forward, stacked forwards. Do you mean stacked in the cool young person sense? Stacked like a hench, Don't. like a built... <laughs> Like, uh, what does uh, uh, Illustrator Henry is always talking about getting lean? Yeah, yeah. No, he, he's, he's, he's talking about getting hench. No. Hench. Yeah. I don't know. Muscly. He looks muscly. He looks like he can hold He looks like own. a big lad. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think he's a big lad, but I think he's, he's broad, not. A broad lad. He's, no, I, I don't know. He's just a, a normal sized human being. Is he? <laughs> I swear to God, he's a big lad. Let me have no, a look. I think he, he's only about six foot. That's big. Yeah, but you're like six foot fourteen. Yeah, but I'm. Yeah, I know, but I'm too big. He is <laughs> 177 meters. That is not true. He is 1.77 meters in feet. So he's like five Wait, ten. He's five, five for eight. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I watched this. <laughs> so he's not a, a stacked hench lad of Let six me foot look five. A picture of him. No, I, but I honestly. I thought... I think you've got him confused with somebody else. No, I haven't. I honestly haven't. I think what it is, is I must have seen him celebrate his goal next to a very small player. I think that must be it. So maybe you saw him celebrate next to Jean-Martinho. Jean-Martinho is very short. It, uh, might have been, it might have been that. Trinkau is quite short. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of him now. I mean, he you know, he looks like he's got quite muscly arms. I don't know. The point I'm making is that I definitely the only close up I saw of him on match of the day was when he was celebrating his goal and he was stood next to someone very small, which made him you know how when you put you hold a tiny teacup and you say, I am a giant, it made him look like a giant. I'd never seen him before. But, you know, obviously I'm wrong. Five for eight, he's obviously not a big lad. <laughs> I thought he was a big lad. Perspective. Perspective. We're all learning things today. Good player. Not a big lad. He's <laughs> <laughs> an average lad, Don. That's fine. That's what, hey, that's the Premier League done, except for Southampton and West Ham, which was nil-nil, no, nil, and who cares about that. that. Um, oh, I'll be Leipzig by Munich, Seb. We're back to Europe. What happened here? It was actually really disappointing. Um, Leipzig were pretty chaotic. But if you're a Bayern Munich fan, which seems to account for like 60% of the people in Germany, then you'd have been happy because Lira Sane has come back from international break looking great. One of the conversations at Munich has yep. been about, about big lad, the big lad, Lira Sane. He hasn't yeah. had a great time since yeah. he moved from Manchester City and he's been a little bit unconvincing. So it's a little bit strange, yeah. uh, good news, strange, that... He should go off to international duty, work under Hansi Flick, his former Bayern Munich coach, and come back. And he played very efficiently. Like he still has all the strengths that you associate with his game. So he's a very direct player, very skillful, very quick. But there's a little bit of efficiency which he showed in the win over Leipzig. If you look at the the second goal that he created for Jamal Masalia, 
and the goal that he scored at the back post, capitalizing on Masada's work, you suddenly he looks like a, a bit of a bargain at 40 million. And Munich looks really, really strong. It's a little bit discouraging because I think if you look at the recent trend in the Bundesliga and look at how competitive Leipzig have been, at least for about 60-70% of the season, that they got absolutely steamrolled by Bayern this early is not great news. Um, not great news for the competitiveness of the league, exactly. But very entertaining game, very good performance. Jamal Masalia is just a wonderful player. Like, if you get the chance, I know Sky Sports is starting to show the Bundesliga in England. Um, uh, they've taken the rights from from BT Sport. Do watch him. I mean, he's going to be the one that got away from English football and for Gareth Southgate. Well, Florian Verts as well. From the, I know we talked about the Leverkusen game before, but... Um People were also saying over the weekend that you know they've lost, lost Averts, of course, but they've got they've got Verts, and uh, he different kind of player. I mean, a true great. Well, wow, future wow, future great, yeah. true future great. He's going to be a very classic sort of number ten. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't compare him to Harvard's. I think they have sort of different abilities, but oh, I don't mean in the the play style. I just oh, mean okay. in the the quality level of the game. Yeah, I, I would say so. Verts is one of the, the sort of the bright young things of German football, no doubt. Um, very good to watch and Leverkusen lost over the weekend but they, they look like they might be a pretty interesting entertaining team this season um, but yeah I, I'd worry about Leipzig a little bit a little bit chaotic and they've got the well uh, within their Champions League group are Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain so that enjoy <laughs> the Europa League yeah. they've got a tough old game on uh, Wednesday Wednesday they play Manchester City I believe uh, I was going to say of course Bayern Munich uh, playing well this weekend that's nice uh, because they will be away to Barcelona on Tuesday there's some big Champions League games in midweek very exciting Chelsea visit uh, Zenit St. Petersburg that's not one of the exciting ones Young Boys host Manchester United also not one of the exciting ones but on Wednesday uh, yes Manchester City Leipzig we've got Atletico Madrid Porto that's exciting Liverpool AC Milan a big one Inter Milan Real Madrid too and uh, Besiktas Dortmund will be quite fun as well so there's a lot going on football wise Inter Milan are fun hey Inter Milan are fun they watched their game with Sampdoria over the weekend their 2-2 and not quite as mechanical and as organised as they were on the Conte they've also lost Hakimi and Lukaku so any team would suffer but they're playing pretty expressive football so yeah, yeah watch that game well there's, there's, a, there's a big game on Thursday too Seb which one's that is that the Spurs it's again it's Leicester Napoli ooh that is good Leicester Napoli 8pm yeah. beaters of Juventus over the weekend as well Napoli so who was Spurs playing uh, someone from France in the Europa you know Mickey Mouse nonsense league which one? The conference league. You're in the you're in the conference league. It's just, it's, it's just so miserable. You're playing run, run. Who <laughs> could probably beat this Tottenham team? I'll be honest. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Before we finish, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Real Madrid, uh, Celta Vigo five two Benzema hat trick. No, no. It was just it was interesting to me because um, it was Real's first game back in the Bernabeu after I think it's about five hundred days. Um, oh. The game was sort of interesting. Celtic lead twice, and Real Madrid came back. Um, Camavinga, Camavinga debut, debut goal. Goal. He a um, mm. little bit of a sort of tap in, but still nice moment for him. There's a really weird It'll statistic count. that Sid Lowe was reporting from the Spanish press because apparently one of the headlines in uh, one of the Spanish dailies was that he was like the 27th youngest scorer for Real Madrid in history or something. <laughs> like, why would you work that out? Like, if you looked it up and. 
you know he's not in the top five why would you keep going anyway yeah really (laughs) anyway someone has to but it's not you so the new Bernabeu will be completely finished uh, I think for the start of next season Um, and apparently you might have to look this up and check it but the new roof which will be retractable is the same weight as like 21 jumbo jets wow that's heavy those aren't your interested eyes um, no, the, the reason is because I was thinking, <laughs> I didn't realise that they were rebuilding. <laughs> they're not rebuilding they'd it, they're remodelling it. 500 days. Yeah, no, but I, I hadn't noticed, having watched okay. Real Madrid several times in the last 500 days, that they were never playing at the Bernabeu. But they were playing at their mini stadium, the De Stefano Stadium, uh, which is very different. Although, it, from a certain camera angle, could probably look the same. And also because there were no fans in, I guess you could... Maybe. Um, Maybe. But also in the new Bernabeu will have, not that I'm kind of working for the tourist board, have a, a, an underground five-story car park. Oh. Which is like not that interesting until you think about kind of the engineering achievement of actually building that under a stadium. I wonder it's how many car parking spaces that is exactly. Five. Don't know. Don't know. Were you trying to do multiplication in your head before realizing that you only had one of the numbers? No, well, because I, I, I would have had no, tr- well, I would have had some trouble with the multiplication, but I, I don't know what the average size of a car park level is or how many spaces one. I actually don't story. know either. I really don't know either. I wonder. There's our Monday afternoon. There is our Monday afternoon. Someone would know. It would be someone's job to know the average size of a car park. It'll be a city planner. Alex would know. No, Alex, that's the kind of thing that Alex spends his time on. It is the kind of thing he would know. Do you know that Alex reads uh, shipping weekly or <laughs> whatever it's got? And he's got these like monthly shipping subscriptions, magazines. And he reads a commercial, they're basically commercial magazines, industry magazines about um, industrial shipping, commercial shipping. I, I don't know what the... He brought one to work the other day and... I, uh, Fact you know. <laughs> interesting, interesting. <laughs> That's Very interesting. People's people's interests. Well, there we go. That's the end. We've we've got to put a shift in today, haven't we? Put a shift in. Showing Alex and JJ up for not being here. We've done a really good job. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed listening. I hope everyone will forever remember Huang as a big lad, even though he's not. And uh, I hope that you know people will reflect on this time that they've spent today with fondness there you go uh, Seb Stafford Bloor thanking you Joe Devine thanking you and uh, we will be back next week uh, with the usual cast I believe so look forward to that until then be an the new por favor uh, danke schön uh, au revoir and tschüss As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.